You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. So, do you have a story to tell yourself? Well, I suppose because I'm asking everyone to to be brave and tell me their stories, and people might think they don't have a story, um, I thought I might have to um, to start myself and jump in, uh, which is not going to be an easy thing to do. It's just something that happened to me um, about two years ago now. By that time, I'm I'm now working in London two days a week. I take the train to go to London. I um. I love that that new job not not just for the job but it actually allows me to have some space away from home uh get away from my countryside and my family and and actually also having those two hours of commuting in the train for myself being able to read all sorts of books that I haven't read for so many years my mother is always the one giving me books in in French is part of a uh, a book club in um, in Belgium so um I'm climbing in the train and I'm excited because I've got this really good book in my bag and I've an hour I've got an hour in front of me to um to read this and and I sit in one of the only seats that is still available bearing in mind that this train is an intercity train and it comes from further, much further into the country. And so people already sitting in the train, they've been traveling for a while there. Um, and so I sat in one of the only seats that is still available. And I noticed that I'm sitting next to um, a little lady and I just see this sort of ball of orange. She's she's wearing a lot of orange. She's definitely got an orange scarf that she fidgets a lot with. And um and she's on the window seat, I'm on the aisle seat, and um, she must be about 65. And I sit down, I take my book, and I open my book, and then I realize she fidgets in even more. She starts throwing glances at me and trying to smile to me, and I really feel she, she, she actually really wants a little chat. Um, but mm. obviously I don't really want a little chat right then, because I want to read my book. And so. And you're on the way to work. And I'm on the way to work, yeah. And you get into this bubble. But then suddenly I woke up to that fact. I thought, hang on, have I actually become one of those commuters that goes into his or her little bubble and doesn't want to even establish eye contact with the person next to them? And I thought, no, no, no. I've always loved a good chat with someone and meeting someone new. So you know what? Close your book, girl. Turn around and give the lady a smile, which I did. And actually, it was like a sunshine next to me. She jumped on the occasion of chatting. First thing she said, she said, "Oh, um, I noticed you you're reading a, a, a French a French book." I said, "Yes, I, I I do." Oh, can I have a look? So she looked at my book and. Oh, it's very interesting. And then she said, well, I'm also reading a French book. And I thought, wow, you know, English lady, 65, reading a French book. 
and she produced out of her handbag this massive book that I know very well. It's a book that I, I, I read in, in my youth. It's a difficult book to read by André Gide. Uh, title is Si le grain ne meurt. And it's, yeah, it's a arduous read. So I'm, I'm amazed and I speak to her saying, wow, this is impressive that you, you, you're reading this. Your French must be very good if you're reading this. Are you part of a French class? And, and then she started and she said, no, dear. In the 60s, I used to be an artist in Paris. And so she explained me this story. And, you know, the train is moving down too fast on the railway line between my stop in London. And, um, and she, she explained me this story that she... So she was an artist in Paris. She moved to Paris being a young woman. She, um, she was a painter. And she loved the freedom of Paris and everything that was happening in the 60s, you know, with, with all the sort of revolution of youth and feminism and, and, and things like that. And, um, and obviously she fell in love. She fell in love with this uh, beautiful young man called Claude. And the story blossomed really quickly. They were both madly in love with each other. They used to trail the cobbled street of Paris, drinking red wine in every little bar that was possible. Claude was not from Paris, but he had lived in Paris for many years. He's French. And, um, but there was one, one small thing about Claude, which actually brought the ruin of the relationship is that he was a gauchist and a gauchist she meant it was somebody from the left uh, somebody who refused all establishment um, refused possession and by in the same sense also refused the settling down having a family having a mortgage being responsible for children he he saw all of that as a, a problem and something he didn't want to to do wasn't a hippie or dropper. I don't think so, but I, I don't know. I've never met Claude, but, but not for what she seems to say to me. He has some sort of conviction that it, that was not the path he wanted to follow in his life. Um, so, quite exciting. Then she, she carries on explaining to me the story that they, they, they then separated. Um, and she returned to England. And three months later, he appeared on the front door. And so they, they tried having a uh, start the relationship again in England, which worked for a little while, but then they were very quickly back on with the same problem of her dreaming of a small home with a little white fence around it and a couple of children in the garden and being able to arrange the inside of a home and, and all of that he did not want. So eventually he went back to France. And that was re really the very end of, of their story. She then uh, went on to explain to me that she met and then married a good English boy, as she said herself. They had two children. She probably did have a white picket fence around a little home. But that didn't last forever because he ended up having an affair with her best friend and he's now happily married to her best friend. So she's, she's now on her own. And uh, by that time, you know, the train had pulled into Liverpool Street Station. I wanted to hear more of this lady. She was all excited. She was showing me when she was standing on the platform that she had been wearing her best clothes, all these lovely, flowy, orangey 
skirt. She had open toe sandals, though, because she thought it was a lot more comfortable when you have bunions and you're 65. And, but she was, she had made a, such an effort because she was going to Gavroche to meet up with a nephew. That Gavroche. was Gavroche. Yeah, it must. I don't know. I haven't checked it out, but it must be a an expensive French restaurant in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was meeting up with a nephew who now lives in Sweden and is very rich. And um, we're standing there on the platform and by that time all the passengers have sort of moved on and it's just the train and us and and all this space around us. But I just still want to know and I say to her, but you know, this story with Claude, now you're on your own, you you had your children and your marriage broke down and you're on your own. Have you never wanted to to know what's happened to Claude? Because maybe... Maybe it's not finished. And then she came closer to me and she said, that's funny you say that, dear, because that's just what I've done. I've come back a month ago and I I found him. Gone back to France? Yes. Mm-hmm. So she had Googled him. She said that now with the internet you could find anyone and anything. And she found him quite easily. By that time he was living in Rouen and... She was given an address and she thought with the idea of first writing to him or not just appearing on, me, on his front door and she decided to write to him. And she wrote to him and she then realised he wasn't married, that he had never got married and, um, and that he was very happy to have contact with her again and it would be lovely if they could meet up one day. So to that she replied that maybe... She loved France and she was just maybe going to take a little trip on the Eurostar and then going through Paris and then make her way to Rouen. She took all those trains and bus and she found herself standing in front of a massive grey building. Um, Do you know what's an HLM? Social housing. Yeah, that's right, social housing in France. Very grey, very sad and, and so she... She rang the bell so that the main door could open into the hallway, into the entrance hall. And so she went in. And then um, she looked on the, all the different names and she realized what stairs he was at. So she took the lift and found herself in front of the door. And she rang the bell. And literally, almost immediately, the door opened and he was there. And she said it just hadn't changed. It was just the same man. How many years later was that? About 40, 45 years. And so um, he got her in and she looked around and she, she said to me that she felt he hadn't changed in his, in his ideals. There was very, very little possession in that apartment. There was a table with a chair and formica. And then there was a small cooker. There was a kettle on the worktop and she thought that maybe there was some sort of um, wink from his time in England because obviously French people don't usually have a kettle. And then she could see through the open door, there was a single bed just there. No personal possession, nothing around her. And then she turned back. And there on the wall was a painting she had painted of him all those years ago. He was sitting among the greenery in Quartier Latin in Paris. He was looking beautiful with his big moustache and his scarf. And he had his legs 
cross, but in sort of nonchalant position. Um, and he looked, he looked amazing. And she, she was struck by the fact that the only personal possession he had in this apartment was a picture that she had painted of him all those years ago while they were so in love with each other. It captured the moment for her having painted it, but I'm sure for him having posed for her. Because you do share so much, you know, between the, the, the model and, and the artist when you're just there looking at each other. By that time, I really, I'm, I'm thinking, God, girl, you've got to go to work. And she was excited to go off to Gavroche. And I said to the little orange lady, I said, you know what? This is an amazing story. This, maybe, maybe one day I should write it down. And she hold my shoulder and she said, yes, maybe you should, dear. And you know what? If you do write it down and you write a book and it gets published and one day a big producer wants to make a film out of it, you find me and you take me to Gavroche with a first paycheck. And then we say our goodbyes. She goes one way and I go the other way. I take my central line and I'm off to my work. And all day this story stayed in my mind. And I thought, oh, I've got to start writing things down before I forget it. Obviously, I didn't. I didn't then, and I didn't the next day, and I didn't next week. And then week passed by, and months passed by, and I didn't write it. But she stayed with me in my head. Anyway, that's sort of where her story finishes. But the, the weird thing that did happen was to me and it was um, months later by now it's then winter and I'm getting ready to climb in the train again I'm a bit too early at, at the station it's cold so I decide to go into the waiting room you can sit down and charge your phone and uh, you're in the warmth away from the rain and the wind. And I sit there and then I notice that in the corner of the waiting room in the station, there is um, some shelving and there is a big sign which says book exchange. You know, you drop your book and you pick up a book. And I thought, oh, brilliant. I've got a horrible little um, novel that I had already picked in another book exchange that I had read very, very quickly and I didn't want to keep that one on, on my shelf in my home. So I thought, oh, I'll leave that one. So I dug it out of my bag and I'm walking towards this shelving, looking, hoping that I might find a good title. And I'm coming closer to this bookshelf and I'm about a metre or two away. I'm starting straining my eyes to try to see the titles and I'm putting my head to the side to read them better. And then I saw it. I saw the book. André Gide, Si le grain ne meurt. Unbelievable. It must have been the book that the lady was reading. And if it wasn't the book, how extraordinary that on a book exchange in an English train station, I would then find this exact same title in French. So I'm amazed and I come closer and then I pull the book out and I look at it and it's definitely the same edition 
that what the lady was reading. I recognized the picture on the front cover, which is a beautiful photograph, black and white photograph of André Gide. The edition is Livre de Poche. And I, I actually even smell the book. It's an old book. And I'm thinking, it looks exactly like the lady's book. Mm. But then I opened the book. And there, on the front cover, is my father's handwriting. And they name, my father and my mother's name, and the date, 1967. It's a bit spooky. Absolutely, isn't it? It's amazing. There's all sorts of explanation as to how this book could have got there. At the beginning of their marriage, my mother and father lived in London in the 60s. About that time, my father was working for the big insurance company. Oh, is it? When we were moving home, I cleared up my bookshelf. It's a book that I would have picked up in my um, family home when I was younger. Maybe, I don't know. But the thing is, Maybe it was like a little wink from the orange lady saying to me, come on, girl, go for it now. Tell the story. So what happened with the, the little orange lady and Claude? They were, she went over there to meet up with him after all those years. She was in his apartment, saw the picture that she'd painted of him when they were younger. What happened after that? Do they continue their story? Well, I, I'm not sure. When I met her, she had just come back from there, having been there the months before. But they were definitely in touch. So she didn't say she was on her way back again to go and see him. She, she sort of left that quite open, I suppose, that now belongs to her. It's her story. She didn't tell me that bit. We can only just imagine. Well, I think we're all dying to find out. Yes, we are. <laughs> so if the little orange lady is listening to this, please tell us. What a remarkable story. <laughs> From a very ordinary girl. I think you'll have to find out whether their story continued. I know. Sometimes I think about Claude and the Orange Lady. Now I wonder what they might be doing. Well, thank you very much for the story. Thank you very much. <laughs>